on today's programme, a historic day in Northern Ireland. As we join you, all eyes are on the formalities at Stormont, which are just getting underway. The parties have gathered, members of the Legislative Assembly have taken their seats and the day's proceedings are about to get underway. What will happen? Well, Sinn Féin's leader, or Sinn Féin's uh, leader in Stormont, Michelle O'Neill, will shortly be appointed as First Minister. There will be a Deputy First Minister from the DUP and we'll find out which party gets which portfolio in this new executive shortly. We'll be going there live shortly and we'll be bringing you throughout the programme analysis of how this Northern Ireland Assembly will fare with our political panel here in studio and we'll get other perspectives on what the North needs now. Good afternoon and welcome to Saturday with Colm O'Mungan. You can get us on RT Radio 1 and on the RT Radio app. We're not uh, live at the moment on the RT News Channel as you'd expect because coverage of Stormont is continuing uh, on the TV news. Now, I want to go straight away to Stormont and we can get uh, not so much my description of the pictures as the description of the action from Amanda Ferguson. Uh, Amanda, tell us what's uh, what's happening right now. People are taking their seats. Uh, Alec, Alex Maskey uh, not in the Speaker's chair sitting on, on the back benches today. So what's happening and what can we expect? Yes, well, I've popped out the front to uh, a sea of public sector workers holding a demonstration out the front over their uh, pay. You're right about Alex Maskey. It's going to be Alan Chambers in the Speaker's seat today because he is the oldest MLA, so he's acting Speaker while they get a new uh, Speaker up and running. All of the parties have just come down the stairs. The the Sinn Féin delegation was last to go in. Um, Michelle O'Neill came down the stairs on her own. And uh, just just prior to that happening, I was uh, backstage, if you can describe that, at Stormont, talking to Michelle O'Neill and Mary Lee McDonald. And um, Michelle said to me that as someone in Clonow put it to her, it's a great day for the parish and Mary Lou likened it to winning the All-Ireland. All right. And presumably that's uh, for Clonow, it's like winning the All-Ireland Club Championship. Yeah. You, might, you might have to, ex- they might have to explain what that feeling is like to, uh, to a presenter from Kildare and, and one, of, one of our guests from Mead. But the expectation yeah. is, is that uh, we'll shortly have the appointment of the first and deputy first ministers, as well as ministers from the other par- parties. When are, when's that likely to take place? What's the timings on that? Yes, well, I have no place to talk being from Antrim, but you're, you're right about the sequence of events that are going to take place. Once the Speaker is in place, it's li- likely to be Edwin Putz. Then there will be two or three Deputy Speakers appointed. Then it'll be the business of the First Minister and Deputy First Minister, who at this point is looking likely to be Emily O'Pengelly. Um, after that, the Justice Minister uh, will be announced and then we will have uh, the rest of the other seven uh, executive seats filled. Now, it's going to take place over a period of maybe two to three hours, depending on how long speeches go on for. But uh, by the by, the close of business today, there will be a restoration of Stormont. And it comes two years to the day after the DUP withdrew its uh, first minister at the time, Paul Given. So I think that among most people, um, there's a bit of relief uh, to have some uh, form of a normal functioning democracy back. However, there does... Uh, you know, continue to be opposition to what the DUP leader um, has agreed to with the UK government from hardline unionists. How evident and how vocal? Well, you know, Tim, uh, Jim Allister is a, is a party of one. He is a, a very good orator. He's a, he's a barrister by trade and he's a thorn in the side of the DUP. Uh, I think the fact that there isn't mass loyalist protests outside Stormont today tells you that uh, we've moved on to a different era. There's no no uh, children of Ulster speech um, in 2024. Uh, but those public sector workers um, from the trade unions, from Unison and from Unite, are at the front of the building just to remind the politicians that when this historic moment of 
Sinn Féin's Michelle O'Neill uh, becoming the first Republican uh, First Minister uh, in the jurisdiction happens that uh, there is a long list um, of issues that need to be resolved. The top one being public sector pay, the health service, education, roads, infrastructure, um, the list is as long as your arm. And speaking of health, seeing as you mentioned it, is there likely to be a continuity in, in the health portfolio in order to, to start the job with an experienced head? There were rumours Robin Swan <clears throat> would, be, would be asked to hang on to the health portfolio. Is that a poison chalice or an investment in experience? Well, I think if, if um, whoever is in charge of the health portfolio actually implements the transformation uh, reports that have been gathering dust on shelves at Stormont for the longest time, uh, people uh, who are languishing on waiting lists would welcome that. There had been some chat last night that Robin Swan may not get the health department, that it could go to the DUP. It's not really clear yet uh, what's going to happen, but the, the business will unfold over the, the coming hours and um, RT reporters and the rest of us will be uh, keeping you abreast of what's happening. All right, and the justice portfolio, like Likely to go to the Alliance Party again is that is is that the expectation? Yes, it is. However, Naomi Long doesn't look particularly happy today. Um, I know that uh, Claire Sugden, the Independent Unionist, who fulfilled the role of Justice Minister in the past, um, was was looking quite smiley today. I don't know if that indicates anything, but it won't be long until we find out. All right, we saw Geoffrey Donaldson arrive with quite a the large delegation, obviously there of of MLAs. There was some question as to whether he'd be there or not, but. What's the mood like in the DUP or does that still depend on who you talk to? Yes, I think it does. There's a realisation that it isn't going to be uh, some happy family's form of government and everything's going to be shiny and rosy. Uh, However, the the DUP leader in recent days has been in buoyant mood and he delivered what one of my colleagues uh, described as a a sermon-like speech before his MLAs went into the chamber. So um, I think that he's been out there selling the deal that he achieved with the UK government he does face opponents from within his party and outside it. Uh, however, the, the deal's done now and government's going to be restored in, in the minutes to come. All right, OK, well, we'll let you back to um, the history unfolding in Stormont and indeed the blue M&M's backstage. Amanda Ferguson, thanks very much uh, for joining us. Now, I'm going to introduce you to our political panel here in studio in a moment. But first, a reminder of how we got to where we are today. which I believe presents us all with an opportunity to reimagine relationships in this society on the basis of fairness, on the basis of equality and on the basis of social justice. Irrespective of religious, political or social backgrounds, my commitment is to make politics work. How can you form a government with Sinn Féin? There will, in my view, be no government formed in Northern Ireland until the protocol is sorted out because we have this terrible situation where there's a sea border between Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom where laws are made for Northern Ireland over which no representative here in the Assembly or Westminster has any say. I'm here with my Assembly team uh, today uh, for the first sitting of the Assembly. But as I have made clear this morning, we have taken the decision not at this stage to support the election of a speaker. I believe that we need to send a very clear message to the European Union and to our government that we are serious about getting this protocol sorted out. Today I stand ready. We stand ready to elect a speaker, form an executive and take on the leadership of the Northern Ireland executive as a first minister for all and a government that works for all of the people. And not for a moment longer can the DUP deny democracy punish the public and boycott this assembly and executive 
Every party in this chamber told the electorate that they would turn up on day one. Well, the DUP have failed on day one. We will make clear our continuing concerns about key elements of the Windsor framework, but we'll also continue to engage with the government. We want to see the clarification, the reworking and change that is necessary. There is further legal change that will be of real benefit to businesses in Northern Ireland, that ensures that Northern Ireland benefits fully from UK free trade deals. These were key elements in our requirements, in our negotiations with the government. Despite the gains which my party leader and deputy party leader have gained in these negotiations, the fact remains that in Northern Ireland there are still EU manned border posts being built. This is a result of this spineless, weak-kneed Brexit-betraying government refusing to take on the EU and its interference in Northern Ireland. Now, Sammy Wilson providing the uh, the last words there and the music provided by uh, Sean Ryder and Black Grape. Now, back to the Assembly and what's going on there. Uh, the They're going through the nominations for Speaker there at the moment. The DUP's Edwin Poots has been nominated for Speaker. The SDLP has nominated Patsy McGlone as Speaker, while the UUP has nominated uh, Steve Aiken. And tributes are being paid at the moment to the previous Speaker, Alex Maskey. Well, let's get back to studio here and I'll introduce you to the panel in studio, Josepha Madigan. Minister of State for Special Education and Inclusion and Fine Gael TD for Dublin Rathdown, Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin TD for Dublin Fingal and spokesperson on workers' rights, enterprise, trade and employment, and Pada Tobin, Aintu leader and TD for Meath West. Uh, Louise O'Reilly, firstly to you, on the day that's in it, on the one part of your brain is with the public sector workers outside of Stormont and the other is with your party colleague, uh, Michelle O'Neill. Happy for her, but how does she make them happy? Well, I know my, my own trade union, Unite, uh, along with others, are outside the Assembly. But, the you know, they know well, as I know, that uh, Michelle has been to the fore uh, in making huge efforts to get the Assembly back up and running. Um, today is a very historic day. I'm very proud. I'm actually really, really, really proud uh, to see Michelle take her seat. You know her? Um, I, w- I would know her reasonably well. Yeah, we work very well together. Um, and I know her to be a very decent and a kind woman. And the, the image that uh, that people have of her, and, and certainly that was the uh, the approaches that were made to me this morning. I was out at our weekly stall in, uh, in Balbriggan and several people came up to say they were very proud. I've also had text messages from, as a, I come from the Irish trade union movement, from trade union leaders uh, wishing us well and acknowledging that today is a very historic day. And the trade unions are outside Stormont, you know, to mark the fact that the assembly hasn't been in place, and uh, and that there has uh, that they want to see all of the elected representatives, as Michelle does, and will lead them to working hard for uh, to deliver public services for the people in the and north. And what's your understanding of how early Michelle knew that Michelle O'Neill knew that this was on that the the restoration was likely? But there have been, I think, a number of false dawns uh, in the run up to today. So I don't think you would take uh, anything for granted. But certainly we haven't changed uh, and we haven't wavered in our position. And Michelle has provided, I think, exemplary leadership um, in the last two years since the Assembly elections. Um, and I think we're we're going to see, you know, it will not be easy. There are a huge uh, amount of challenges. You know, partition uh, is very damaging for, uh, for our island, in, in my opinion. And, you know, we will see 
Michelle have to engage with uh, with the Tories. Um, you know, they've had 14 years of Tory austerity, so it is not going to be an easy job, but it is certainly a job that she's more than up for, more than able for, and uh, wants to be in a position to deliver for uh, the people who elected all of the MLAs. And that's what people want to see. That's why the trade unions are out there today to remind the MLAs that they want to see them back at right. work and working hard, which is no more than Michelle has been trying to do for the last couple of years. And in order for her to be a First Minister for all of the community, obviously her relationship with the Deputy First Minister will be key. Now, it's been such a long time since the executive was up and running that it's it's almost a restart of what Martin McGuinness had to do uh, with uh, Dr. Ian Paisley. So what does she have to do? What's going to be the, what does she have to say today? What's the key indicator that you think unionists should look for? Well, Michelle has been very, very clear as First Minister designate that she would be a First Minister for all communities. And she will make that clear, I believe, in her remarks today. And, you know, that's about getting down to business, getting down to the job of uh, trying to deliver for the people who have uh, elected Michelle and uh, the Deputy Forest Minister as well, trying to make sure that when the executive is up and running that they negotiate hard for additional resources. But again, I will say, you know, they're negotiating with the British Tories. That's going to be tough, absolutely. So there does need to be, um, you know, a united front from the executive. And that's, I think, where Michelle's focus is going to be in the short term. All right, uh, Josephine Madigan, how do you think or how would you hope that Michelle O'Neill's first remarks would unfold in order to, I suppose, invest in the longevity of the current executive and Assembly's life. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate uh, Michelle. Um, she's the first nationalist first minister um, and I just want to congratulate her and her family. I, I think, you know, from the government's perspective, it's it's great and really good news to see a functioning assembly up and running again uh, to see uh, and, and hopefully there'll be momentum and we'll get the ministerial North South Council back up and running as well. Um, there's a lot of everyday issues that need to be worked out. I think this, you know, the all island economy is is absolutely vital. And north south, we're talking about eleven billion per annum. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, cross border um, uh, trade, um, and it, it's really important that 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 stays that way. Um, and you know, after two years. I think that the the people in Northern Ireland, um, the majority of them would really welcome this. Um, the fact that they will be able to have an executive that will um, negotiate a programme for government and negotiate a budget um, and that we can deal with issues. And I, I think as well, we have to remember that, you know, there are legislative powers there as well. Um, and there's the transferred matters where which are completely devolved to the Assembly, where they'll be able to legislate in terms of health, in terms of education and other matters. And that's going to be vitally right. important. Well, we we know the British government, uh, sorry to interrupt you, is going to provide over, you know, is, is going to provide over three billion euro in order to try to solve some of the issues that have arisen over the last two years. But could you envisage also a lot of uh, investment from the Irish government as Northern Ireland comes to terms with the inevitable uh, challenges that that it's it's uh, it hasn't been able to deal with over the last while not least things as simple as potholes in the roads I mean, and that 3.3 billion uh, I think the DUP finally accepted um, that something would need to be done on the 30th of January and I, I understand that about 600 million of that will go to the uh, public sector workers um, the Irish government's position has always been consistent on this and we're ready and waiting uh, to support Northern Ireland in whatever way we can and 
to that end, the, the North-South Ministerial Council is absolutely vital because ministers will uh, discuss how approaches will be made uh, and then they will be separately carried out in, in the respective jurisdictions. Um, but, you know, any support that can be given will be given. Uh, I know that the Taoiseach has, has spoken to Rishi Sunak. He's both spoken as well, obviously, to Ursula von der Leyen in terms of the EU Commission's perspective on this. Um, and, you know, I know Heaton Harris as well uh, has spoken, um, you know, in relation to this. I mean, if, if you look at it from even the US... He said he had, there are concerns, but there's no red flags. We'll, we'll get into a bit more detail yeah. of that, maybe a bit later a bit later on, on, on the programme. Father Tobin, um, your leader of AIM too, your party is, is active in Northern Ireland um, as well. But once upon a time, you were in Sinn Féin. Did you know Michelle O'Neill? I did. I think I was at the Ord Cordia meeting where uh, Michelle O'Neill was selected uh, to be the... Um, the, the person in waiting uh, when Martin was to step down, Martin McGuinness was to step down. So uh, I did know her. She was uh, considered a very affable uh, character within the organisation. And, and I wish her luck uh, today. It's a, obviously a, a massive day for Sinn Féin and it's a, a significant day for Michelle and her family. Uh, I will say this, though, that there's a couple of things I, I think that have happened over the last number of, of months and years that are really problematic uh, obviously, the fact that we've had an assembly that's been collapsed uh, for two years is an, is an absolute disgrace. Forty um, percent of the assembly's history, it has been closed. Uh, and during that time, we have had a real corrosion of the, the lives of the people in the north of Ireland in terms of health, housing, education, transport, etc., incomes as well. The other point I would like to say is the negotiations that happened for this DUP deal were also incredible. The fact that one political party was negotiating with the British government in terms of what would happen in the future is madness. The, the, the fact that the, all the other political parties were only found out about it afterwards and then had to get their heads around it over a couple of days to decide whether they agreed with it or not, that's not how democracy works. The DUP is actually a minority political party. We used to have a majority unionist rule in the North. Now we have minority unionist rule to a certain extent. But isn't the, isn't the reality that there would have been little point in negotiating with anyone else because... Most other parties, in fact, uh, it'd be safe to say that 99% of the MLAs wanted to get back outside of the uh, DUP. The, the key point here is no one political party should be able to collapse Stormont ever again. And no one political party should be able to block the uh, creation of an executive ever again. And that's the key problem. And it's, it is costing the citizens in the North exceptionally that that's allowed to continue. So you have a situation where, you know, um, less money is spent, for example, per pupil in ed- the education system in the North than it, than it is spent in Britain or the South, where there's a whole, uh, uh, about 700 million euros in the health budgets in the North, that actually you're seeing the closure of maternity services at Causeway Hospital, uh, a e in, in Enniskillen Hospital, Daisy Hill is losing a surgery. So there's a real collapse in people's ability to survive and live properly in the North of Ireland. And in many ways, the Irish government stood idly by while that collapse has happened and not intervened were, enough. Were, were you as vocal in, in your opposition to collapse when Sinn Féin collapsed it for three years? I was. I, my, my attitude is that you cannot forget about the bread and butter issues that are affecting All people. Right. Okay. Yeah. I want to bring in, uh, I just want to bring in Peter Sherlow there from the uh, Institute of Irish Studies at the University of Liverpool. Uh, Peter, good afternoon to you. Hello. Uh, when we last saw pictures uh, coming from uh, f- from the assembly, there there was uh, plenty of laughter on the uh, the DUP benches. Uh, Matthew O'Toole from the SDLP is up on his feet at the moment. But just to bring today into perspective, there is a historic change going on in in Stormont today from a unionist perspective. How is this going down? Well, I think one of the things we have to do is bust the myth that uh, that was propagated by Republicans and Nationalists. 
that the DUP would not share power if there was a, a Sinn Féin First Minister. You know, people from that community were saying that as, as recently as Monday. And I think what's also critically important here is we also have to break the myth that everybody within the pro-union community is fearful of this appointment. Uh, the majority of people who are pro-union are socially liberal. They support democracy. And like their nationalist and other counterparts, they wanted the restoration of the Assembly. And they wanted the restoration of the Assembly for the very reasons that your panel has discussed. And I think what's also really important is to understand this question about how we move on. It's critically important for Sinn Féin and the DUP, and I think Jeffrey Donaldson sort of got this point that I'm about to make. It's critically important that demographically and politically, Northern Ireland is in a stalemate. It is not going anywhere. The Catholic population is falling. The Protestant population is falling. Within 10 years, over 30% of our school children primary school age will be of no religion. There are significant shifts taking place in Northern Irish society since the Good Friday Agreement, and I think politics needs to map onto those changes. People are reconciled with each other. People are working in ways together that they never worked before. They're working across the border. They're working in ways that you wouldn't have imagined 20 or 30 years ago. And I don't think either Sinn Féin or the DUP recognises that were in this stalemate. In 1998, the Sinn Féin SDLP share of the vote was exactly the same as the Assembly election two years ago. So I would like for Republicans in particular to take that point on board and to understand that the only way to achieve a United Ireland or the only way to remain in the UK is to build a socially just and inclusive society. Well, do the circumstances there at the moment demand that? Because everybody has to make the executive and the assembly work, if not for altruistic reasons, on behalf of the citizens of Northern Ireland, then with an eye even to elections, North and South. Yeah, and I think one of the things we have to also appreciate is the pro-union community, you know, it has changed. It is much less likely than those who want Irish unification to vote for constitutional parties, i.e. unionism. It is much more likely than the nationalist community to vote for middle ground parties, such as the Alliance. So one of the things we have to appreciate is this old-fashioned, orange and green, 100-year-old politics of partition. Today, actually, evidences that that is no longer the case, the symbolism of Michelle O'Neill, which is quite right. You know, that's, that's a democratic decision of the people to put her in that place. But that has to be reflected in the, in the fact that Northern Ireland is not going anywhere constitutionally. It is going to be around for some time to come. And the target for both political uh, blocs has to be to prove that they can deliver governance. And in, I mean, you say that with confidence and you base that on the numbers, but there does seem to be a fearfulness there that's reflected in the fact that the command paper that was issued is called safeguarding the union with an awful lot of what's been interpreted as negative language about the north-south dimension in it that seems to be there as a means of reassuring unionist voters that it's OK to go back into the assembly. Well, as somebody from that background, I voted for the Good Friday Agreement. I'm a strong proponent of North-South relationships. But I can understand sections of unionism. You know, you, you set up a body called Intertrade Ireland. There was nothing equivalent for the trade East-West. And there may well be 11 billion of trade North-South, but the 80% of trade is East-West. And clearly, what, what, what I think the Good Friday Agreement did was create the pillars for building this new society that we have. 
but there was always something that was not in it which looked properly at the east-west relationship and that's and there I now, isn't it? There's an intertrade yeah, UK agency yeah, yeah. Being, being committed to that largely draws on the model of intertrade Ireland. Oh, yeah, I, I hold a different viewpoint from most of our politicians in Northern Ireland. I understand equality as a process of achieving for everybody. Our politicians understand equality as achieving for their community. And I think that's something which is fundamental to any success of a future assembly, that equality actually does mean what was written in the Good Friday Agreement, parity of esteem and mutual respect. There will be bumps along the road. I'm sure Michelle O'Neill will go and commemorate IRA volunteers. I'm sure members of the DUP will go to uh, Remembrance Day celebrations. There, there will be realities like that. But we need to sober up here. If people wish to commemorate in that way, that is really up to them. That is not reflective of their capacity to deliver good governance in Northern Ireland. All right, uh, stay with us, Peter Sherlock. Josefa Madigan, um, back to you on that, because, you know, I think once upon a time you were in an, in an enterprise brief, but the the language that's in this command paper about effectively treating the notion of an all-island economy as a, a political construct, as a fiction, what did you make of the language uh, in, in, in the command paper? Well, I haven't been privy to the command paper itself, uh, but I know that the Taoiseach has read it. Uh, and obviously he's a strong proponent of an all island economy. Um, and as I said earlier, it's like it's it's worth 11 billion uh, per annum. It's, a, you know, drives uh, jobs that um, there is um, very important um, cross-border um, value um uh, in, in markets there that, you know, and we want to have that unfettered access um, all of the time. And it was, this is one of the issues around Brexit, uh, which which we didn't want, um, which was to make sure that there was this frictionless flow of trade at all at all times, because it's really important and of real value to people in communities on both sides of the border. Um, so the government is fully committed to supporting economic growth across the island uh, of Ireland and that's really consistent with the expectation of the business communities as well um, I, I know that that's really important to them right, that, but that it, it continues But so concerns but no no red flags is, is what the Taoiseach says despite well, so is, 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 What is, is, the Taoiseach has said um, and you know my understanding of what the Taoiseach has said is that he's, he's fairly confident um, that the EU Commission won't be raising any red flags but at the end of the day it is up to the EU Commission so there's the EU Committee um, which will look at this um, and that's at a very High level with Sekcevic um, and, and also um, Foreign that's Secretary Cameron. the Vice Cameron. President of the Commission. Yeah. Yes, who, the Vice who, President who of the Commission. Uh, so the EU UK Joint Committee will look at it. Um, also, the EU Commission will consult and have committed to consult more regularly with the Northern Ireland stakeholders uh, in relation to this. And if we look at the fact that the you know the internal. Uh, the UK market is 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 and also access to um, the the EU single market puts uh, Northern Ireland in a unique economic um, position. It's an exceptional position, um, and in fact, uh, the US envoy um, uh, has recognised that terms, uh, yeah. Joseph Kennedy. Um, so you know, I I think um, that's going to be really okay. important for Northern Ireland, and we're, we're very pleased that the executive and the um, assembly will be up and running. Okay, I just look at at the action there. On the television screens that's been uh, carried on the RT News Channel, they're still in the middle of nominations for speaker. But uh, Jim Allister, that's a traditional unionist voice, um, used his time to launch further criticism of the command paper. Um, you heard uh, Louise O'Reilly, Peter Sherlow talking about, you know, the the need for people to respect one another's traditions. In in his own words, uh, to sober up. But in the role of of first minister. 
are there constraints on what Michelle O'Neill can attend or on what she should attend? I think um, Michelle has proven herself as First Minister-designate to be a a thoughtful um, political leader and to be someone who has said she wants to be a First Minister for all communities and then has gone and has been as good as her word. And I think we will see that. uh, We saw that as First Minister-designate. We will see that now as uh, in her role as First Minister, because obviously she's uh, she is the leader now of the Assembly. Uh, And I know that's a that's a role that she will take incredibly seriously. And yes, there will always be sensitivities. And Michelle is very much uh, alive to those. And when she says she will be a First Minister for all, she means that she's demonstrated that. And I think we will see her demonstrate that into the future but today is a good and a positive day and uh, you know we're I suppose in, in we're, we're relieved uh, that the you know that things are going smoothly but also no, nobody is denying that there won't be challenges there would be huge challenges not least um, to do with negotiating enough funds to be able to, to, to run the North there will be huge huge challenges you know and there will be a need for unity at the level of the executive and I am delighted that Michelle is the person who right. will be there to, to provide that essential leadership Yeah just want to pick up on something Peter uh, said in relation to this and that you know the DUP's intransigence in the last while has actually been a catalyst towards Irish unity because for the DUP in many ways to prove that the union between our... How do you say that if the, if, if, if the polling shows that the, the, the support for nationalist or Republican parties remains at 39%, the well, support for, for unionists, the only decline in support for unionists has largely gone to, to middle ground parties? Well, first of all, Peter Sherlow is not taking into consideration the fact that he, he only is, is, is claiming the SDLP and the Sinn Féin vote in that 39% and that doesn't include parties like ourselves, people before profits uh, and other independent Republican organisations that are standing. So the actual Republican nationalist vote is higher now uh, than it was. And if you look at the polling in terms of Irish unity, it's higher now than it was. And the reason being is because for, for the DUP to, to prove that the union works, that the union should have a future, it needs to be able to show nationalists and unionists that the union between the North and Britain actually works for them. But they've actually proved that it's not working for nationalists, for sure. And many unionists actually don't see it even working for them for themselves. So my experience has been in talking to people from a unionist background in the North of Ireland. Over Sorry, the are you while, talking about bread and butter issues or are you talking about constitutionally? Well, I'm talking about, you know, bread and butter issues. People's abilities to earn an income, to be able to raise their family, pay their mortgages, get access to healthcare and get access to education. That has reduced significantly because of the actions of the DUP, which has shown that the Northern state as part of the British Union is not actually working for many, many people. And people are now seeing, well, actually the EU and the Southern state is more attractive. Now, it's it's not all of unionism, okay, well, it's a section of unionism. I think some of the polling finds that in terms of middle ground voters, they would be more likely to think in that way as long as the institutions are in abeyance. Mm. But when they're not in abeyance and are functioning, they would be more likely to prefer a future in the United Kingdom. I, we do have to take a break. Mm. We'll be back after that. Saturday with Colm O'Mungon on RTE Radio 1. Now back to the business in Stormont. The UUP's Mike Nesbitt is speaking at the moment. Just before him, the People Before Profits, Jerry O'Carroll, resumed his seat. Uh, he used his time to raise issues like housing uh, and public sector pay. Mike Nesbitt uh, talking about uh, speaker at the start of his speech paying tribute to uh, Alex Maskey. Plenty, plenty of smiles all around there. Now I actually want to go to Stormont now and to speak there to a member of the European Parliament representing Dublin. Uh, Fianna Falls, Barry Andrews. Barry Andrews, you're in the, the backstage area as a guest of the uh, SDLP. 
Yes, uh, Colm, uh, good afternoon. Yeah, I've just stepped out of the chamber and it's, uh, it's obviously a very historic day. The speeches so far have been very warm, tributes to Alex Maskey and various uh, political points, including by Jim Allister, who gave the DUP uh, a, a, a fair old lashing. Uh, but it, they're still going through the process of uh, electing Edwin Coots to the position of Speaker of the Assembly. All right. Um, just in terms of the reaction, coming coming as you are from your from your day job in Brussels and Strasbourg, the reaction in Europe to the command paper, are people looking at the substance of it and seeing the language as a distraction or are there concerns about it, particularly on areas of um, the... Uh, the the flow of of of, uh, of divergence, the flow of goods into Northern Ireland, uh, the attitude towards the the all island economy. Yeah, there, there are definitely issues that will need to be considered now by the European Union. The Commission is currently reviewing the command paper and the agreement that has been uh, arrived at between the UK government and the DUP. For example, uh, there is a commitment in the command paper that medicines will be, uh, veterinary medicines will be able to flow without any uh, interruption into Northern Ireland. That's a matter that will have to be agreed with uh, the Commission. There's also a proposal in relation to the uh, UK internal market guarantee so that you'd have a minimum of 80% of uh, goods going through uh, deemed to be not at risk. That's uh, arguably a change to the Windsor framework and will need agreement with Brussels. So there are a few loose ends, but I wouldn't think that any of these things are enough to cause any political difficulties down the road for the res- restoration of the institutions here in Stormont. All right, but the, but the bar is pretty high. If the European Commission finds something of concern in the command paper and... <clears throat> decides to uh, take some kind of uh, action over it, surely it runs the risk of affecting the stability of the Assembly in the North. That, that That's quite a big call to make. So will they, I well, suppose, for- the, in, the net point being, that's the voting bell uh, going off behind you, Barry Andrews. Nor- normally when we're talking to people and a voting bell goes off, they, ha- they have to go and attend to it. But fortunately, you're not uh, in that position uh, today. So I suppose the net point being, does the European... Uh, Commission have to take a view of maximum flexibility, uh, uh, even if it has concerns. Well, that's the point I was, I was going to make, is that the Windsor framework, which we, uh, the European Union and the UK agreed one year ago, contains within it a high degree of flexibilities. And the outworking of those flexibilities has been evolving over the last 12 months. And I've been here many times to meet with Northern Ireland business representatives Uh, And they understand that this is going to change as we go along. I think what's in the command paper essentially is uh, further detail on how those flexibilities are going to operate in reality. So I don't think there's going to be any uh, particular turbulence for the EU-UK relationship. Ultimately, it will be down to the joint committee, uh, the EU and the UK, to discuss these matters and decide on any steps that need to be taken to regularise the new arrangements that have been agreed between the UK and the DUP. Okay, and what about the language around there will be no immediate application of EU law in Northern Ireland? Does that raise a concern, particularly where single market laws are concerned? Look, I I think that is really uh, just trying to put in legislative form what was already agreed around the storm and break. Uh, In other words, the Northern Ireland Assembly has powers under the Windsor framework uh, to apply the storm and break, and that is what you, you know what people are talking about. I think the 
one of the great things about Northern Ireland is that progress is always made when the two communities can look at the same thing and interpret it in a different way. Um, for unionists, this is a very significant step forward. For many others, it is considered to be simply putting into legislation what was already agreed between the EU and the UK. So I think there is some concern here around how the Democratic Scrutiny Committee of the Assembly is going to operate uh, the storm and break. That's going to be a very significant development, and I think it's going to happen very soon. I believe the Democratic Scrutiny Committee is going to meet on a weekly basis, according to people I'm speaking here. So that may be a source of tension in the future, how that actually operates and Sorry, what ju- impact so ju- that has. Just to clarify, wh- whether it's operated constructively and in good faith or whether it's used as a disruptor, is that what you mean? I- exactly. And, and, and people should remember that the UK government has to agree to the application of the storm and break. So it's not something that can be unilaterally applied by the Assembly. So, uh, But it's, it's a very novel constitutional instrument uh, that is really going to be, we're really going to see how it works in the future. But I have to say, I think there's a very positive atmosphere around here. One of the things that, you know, I've been calling for is an investment conference that would bring together the US, the UK and the European Commission to really take advantage of the dual market access that is there, the new Northern Ireland economy minister who's there, the new leadership in Invest NI. I think we really have to see the benefits, not just of the peace here, but also prosperity right. being delivered by the new agreement. All right, uh, Barry Andrews, MEP for Dublin. Thanks very much for joining us there from uh, Stormont. Peter Sherlow, just uh, picking up on what Barry Andrews was saying about the uh, scrutiny committee uh, in, in Stormont. You had uh, advised previously, I think in an article you had wrote la- written last year, about the need for there to be effective committee scrutiny of the issues pertaining to, I suppose, the post-Brexit arrangements. Are you happy that those would be in place and are you happy they'd work constructively? Yeah, I think I think this is something which is really important and it should have been the case all along that the Assembly should have dealt with these issues in a unified way. And it's interesting in our surveys when we ask the question, uh, were the DUP right to challenge the protocol, etc.? A quarter of Sinn Féin voters and 40% of SDLP voters agreed because this is about everyday life and the and the effects. But can I go back to an issue that was raised before the break? You can. Uh, I, th- the, the, I thought the, you, you might, know, actually. Go on. I thought you might. No, no. From the north, I have to get my point in. But the, uh, the, the, the people were talking there about, you know, the, the Tories and, and uh, austerity. And I and I fully agree that, that that is wrong. And also they were talking about the budget in Northern Ireland. Uh, you don't have to cut health or housing because there's one part of our budget in which you can save literally in the long term billions of pounds. And that is the ending of segregated education. Segregated education, uh, Potter raised the point about the lack of spending on education in our schools. One of the reasons why we have a lack of spending in education in our schools is because we are we have a, 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 a dysfunctional educational system which separates our children. There are massive savings to be made in, in ending the segregation of education. And another point is the Alliance Party and Unionist parties call for the desegregation of our schools. And I would like to hear in too and Sinn Féin join in calling for the desegregation of our schools, which has not only financial but also social and cultural benefits and and if we're talking about creating a a first minister for all then why are we sending our kids to separate schools that's not for all that's for difference 
All right. Um, uh, can I just mention something? Yeah, you can, certainly. Josepha Madigan, yeah, you want to come in on that? Yeah, I just wanted to pick up on something Barry was talking about there. Um, and just to mention, in relation to the EU, that if there are major, if there were major fundamental changes to uh, the Windsor framework, then the whole EU 27 member state bloc would have to would have to approve that. Um, so you know, my understanding is that with, within this deal, it's mainly operational changes that are made. But I suppose um, it's, 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 it's the application and the impl- and even though yeah, the command paper is based on the premise of the uh, the Windsor framework yes. being implemented, it's how it's implemented uh, and whether it's implemented to the satisfaction of the European Commission. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's the issue, yeah, and, and Yeah, so that's the EU-UK Joint Committee, I think, who will look at that as well. And just in, 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 in relation to this uh, Stormic break, I mean, that can be used in limited circumstances, um, you know, but as Barry said, the UK government does have to approve that. um, And, um, uh, uh, you know, yeah, that's all I think I want to say. Um, Louise O'Reilly did what Peter Sherlock was talking about there, for example, where savings can be made, uh, investing in, I suppose, the future cohesion of society in in Northern Ireland. They're the hard decisions that are going to have to be made. So... for example, let's take that one first, segregated education, even on, indeed, particularly on this side of the border, people have a very close relationship to their schools. If the political nut to crack was saving money in education and desegregating it uh, in Northern Ireland, could you see that being done over the lifetime of the next assembly? Well, I can certainly see uh, that issue being examined, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the, the committee structures, when they're back up and running, there will be a chance to, to tease that out and to hear from all sides. Uh, maybe Personally, I'm uh, a big fan of um, non-denominational co-educational uh, schools. It's how I, I was schooled myself. It's how my daughter, uh, how she was schooled. But I understand that not everybody shares that view. So there needs to be a place for people to articulate the concerns that they have, the views that they have, and to come to a conclusion. And that is what the committee structure is there for. You know, I mean, people forget that along with the Assembly, the committees will be back up and running again and there will be an opportunity then for to have that discussion in the appropriate place and to hear from all sides. Absolutely. And I think that's that's incredibly important. I mean, you do forget what you see is the assembly. That's where the focus is. But actually, the entire apparatus of uh, of government will be back up and running, including the, the committee structures. So I think I think we will see that and other hard issues. Nobody has said that there's not going to be a challenge. I mean, today is a very good, a very positive day. I'm delighted to see Michelle take uh, her rightful place as first minister. But nobody for a moment is suggesting that uh, that, that is going to be the end of it. There there, are, there is work to do. There will okay. be challenges to be met. Now, okay, uh, Louise O'Reilly, you're, you're a, a spokesperson uh, in for Sinn Féin in the Dáil. Padre Tobin, you are the leader of Aintu. So what's your view on, on desegregating education if, if, as Peter Sherlock says, billions of pounds could be unlocked uh, for use in other areas on that? So Aintu is a pluralist Republican political party. We believe very much in the integrated education system and we support that. But we also think that parents should have the right to choose what school that their kids go to. The idea of, you know, the state coming in and telling parents that they no longer have the choice to send their child to the school down the road that they went to school in, um, you know, is ridiculous. And okay, you know, but the reverse of that surely then is, you know, if another significant minority is in a society and they want to school in their favoured ethos, are you obliged then to fund that? Because the more diverse society gets, the more obligations you have under the scheme that you're proposing. See, I suppose where we get our politics is that wolf tone idea of republicanism, where Catholic, Protestant, and the centre can live in harmony with each other, and the best way for people to be able to live in harmony is for pluralism to 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 uh, be 
the, the way that you construct the society. So people can be who they are to their full extent without fear or favour. Now, if you go down the road and you actually say, well, people can't be who they are to their full extent okay, without but fear let's, favor, let's say that's it, problematic. In the establishment of new schools, mm. if the ethos were limited in the establishment of new schools, say, alone to desegregated co-educational schools, would you favour that? I think if you limited the, the schools, new schools, to be on the basis of what parents wanted, I think that that would be an education system that would be demand-led rather than state-pushed. Would you accept your version of republicanism is a bit different than that in France and that in America when it comes to schools? Oh yeah, there's no doubt. Like the, uh, Even though Tone <laughs> sailed to Ireland on a French ship, you reject his form of republicanism. He did, and he you? threw a biscuit at the, at the, at the, the coastline of the time but pluralism is is really important in the north and that's and and it goes back to actually another point that that i would agree with peter on and that's the whole idea of reconciliation in that you know to really reconcile with each other we still need to be able to we don't like we don't have to dress up in each other's political clothes to be able to reconcile so we can be friends and be irish republican and be uh, a british unionist as well and that's the best way to coexist peacefully a brief word to you peter sherlow before we let you go well, just a lot of the point is the survey work we, work we do shows that the pro-union and those who don't consider themselves unionists or nationalists are those most supportive of uh, desegregating education. It's actually the Republican voters who prefer this system. So, so you know, but and it has, as I've said, a significant okay. bearing in, in terms of cost. But the other point is, there's one question we ask about, would you be concerned if a family member married across the sectarian divide? And yet again, it is people who are Republicans and nationalists who are much more likely to find that offensive. So if we're going to represent all, there's a challenge to both communities to move itself away from sectarian positions and very, very outdated senses of identity. Okay. All right. Professor Peter Sherlow uh, from the Institute of Irish Studies at the University of Liverpool. Thanks very much for joining us on the line there. We'll take a break. Back in a minute. Saturday with Conor Mungon on RTE Radio 1. Hello again. Still with me in studio are... Um, our studio panel, Louise O'Reilly of Sinn Féin, Pratha Tobin of Ainthu and Minister Josepha Madigan of um, Fine Gael. Um, Louise O'Reilly, the, uh, the vote for uh, Speaker is still ongoing now. The issue of the health portfolio in the Assembly at the moment, uh, Sinn Féin doesn't run Robin Swan uh, in the health portfolio. Do you want the health portfolio? Well, I, that'll be decided by Dehant, um, and that's how the, that'll be triggered once the, uh, the the first and deputy first minister is elected here today, or well, there I suppose today, um, and then that would. But I mean, we've made no secret of the fact we will not shy away from difficult ministries. Um, obviously, it's 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 public knowledge that we would seek the economy ministry if that was available. I think that's important. There's huge scope uh, for an all island economy, and I would like to see uh, someone from Sinn Fein in that position. Right. But the rest of the ministries, the hunt will be run, and that decision will be taken on the basis of the hunt. Okay, and the justice minister isn't that isn't that cross community vote? Yeah, there would be a cross. That's, community yeah, there's vote an exception for the, the, for, yeah. for the yeah. justice minister. Just even Manigan, the, the case for reform because one of the issues has been the. Um, punch and duty collapses of the Assembly over the last uh, five or six years. If you go back to the timeline, there's been suspensions of all sorts during the life of uh, of, of the Assembly. Does the government see that there is an arguable case for reform in order to prevent that kind of willy-nilly collapse in the future? Yeah, look, you know, I think things always have to be considered. Um, I mean, we, we were talking earlier about the fact that the last assembly only lasted three months um, and, you know, we don't want that to happen in this particular instance. I do think 
this is different. Uh, I think there's an appetite um, from the Northern Irish people um, and I've listened to a lot of them speaking over the last number of weeks um, and there was mounting pressure put, I think, on the various parties to get the Assembly up and running and to get the executive back up and running. Um, so I think we have to look at this positively. I mean, we have to remember this deal hasn't yet been passed by the House of Lords. It will be in on the 13th of February. I mean, the, the statutory instruments uh, have been fast tracked um, and, and the constitutional issues as well. Um, but I, I do think where there's a will, there's a way. Um, I, I just am very pleased uh, and I hope that it is faithful to the the Windsor framework, um, which is important, and of course, the Good Friday Agreement. Um, you know, because when we were talking about Brexit before, it was really important that the Good Friday Agreement, uh, you know, the spirit of it remains that there was no hard border north and south and that the EU single market okay. was obtained. We should say that uh, Edwin Poots has just been uh, elected speaker there. He's uh, That's Edwin Poots of uh, the DUP. Yeah, there's an inbuilt instability in the system. It is clear as day. And until there's reform underpinning how the executive functions, that's not going to go away. And in fairness, Aintu have been pushing for reform in this and the Taunish and the Taoiseach have accepted that there is a need for reform. So I welcome the fact that both Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin have said in the doll to us that there is a need for reform. Now, is it reform sometime in the future or is it reform in uh, in a manner that will actually bring about change uh, in contemporary uh, times? We don't know yet. The other point is you mentioned the Minister for Health and this is a key point. It's not so much about the personalities, it's about the, po- the policies. Michelle O'Neill herself brought about the Bengal report which led to the closure of um, surgery in Daisy Hill, A&E in Enniskillen and maternity But sometimes services. reform, health reform reports are pushed towards the creation of centres of excellence so that there can be critical mass at hospitals. It's happened here as well. There's 300,000 people in the north on, on waiting lists. One in seven of the population now in the north are, are on waiting but lists would you because of those that, closures. That in terms of cancer strategy, cardiac strategy, centres of excellence need to be created. You know, what I've seen in the and south... that involves the loss of services in it, some hospitals. There is very few centres of excellence okay. in, the, in the state. I just want to go to Josefa Madigan the, um, you know, the, the life of this assembly and how Sinn Féin uh, acts in the executive uh, will be le- closely scrutinised by your own party in terms of fighting the next election. Now how are you going to strike the balance between uh, exulting in the policy difficulties that they encounter and being supportive to the continued life of the assembly and the executive? Well we've, we have a coalition here in, in, in the Republic and um, there is now a coalition um, in Northern Ireland. Uh, we very much welcome that. We will work with all parties uh, and as I said earlier that's consistently the government's position. Um, I I would be hopeful that this will work. I think the fact that there are now new checks that will be risk-led and intelligence-led uh, as opposed to stopping, you know, lorries, um, you know, uh, um, disembarking. Um, I think that will make okay. a big difference. All right. Okay. Well, uh, the coverage of Edwin Poots is on his his feet now. That's the the new speaker. He is uh, speaking to the Assembly in Stormont. But that's all we have time for today. If you want to continue watching what's going on in Stormont, you can watch it on the uh, RTE News channel. Uh, Sean Marron was our broadcast coordinator today. Research was by Fiona Donnan. Tommy O'Sullivan was on sound and the programme was produced by our series producer, Regina Henley. Stay tuned for Saturday Sport. Damien O'Mara will be with you there along with Joanne Cantwell. Saturday with Colm O'Mungon on RTE Radio 1.